Welcome to Thinking Ahead, your leading edge insights podcast. Each episode reveals the latest insights on today's consumers and offers a sneak peek of tomorrow's marketplace. Stop guessing what's next and start thinking ahead. Welcome back to another episode of Thinking Ahead, a GFK Insights podcast. This is Hannah Leiter, your host. For today's episode, we are going to be doing a bit of an extension of the last one where we heard from Anim from Constellation Brands and Tara from Been There, Done That on how traditional brands can benefit from the direct-to-consumer business. But today, we're going to be taking it to the experts behind the scenes. Both of my experts work primarily in the e-commerce world and in turn with brands using the direct-to-consumer model all the time. So everyone, please give a silent welcome to Lloyd Wood, Senior Enterprise Account Manager at Kidalize, and Isaac Wanzama, Founder and Chief Strategist at Geekspeak Commerce. Welcome to you both. Thank you, Hannah. Thanks for having us, Hannah. Awesome to be here. Yeah. So I'll just start off with an overarching question. Direct-to-consumer has, of course, become a mainstream model of business, especially with the online platforms you can use to shop. So what is the main reason that people are attracted to this method and what are the main benefits? Sure. Absolutely. Lloyd, I'll jump in and take that one first. Uh, you know, DTC has become uh, really critical for a lot of brands uh, for a number of different reasons. Uh, obviously, uh, with the flexibility in the terms to, to market, uh, to brand, to set your own price, uh, to really own the customer. A lot of these are the key drivers that uh, have enabled uh, really the growth in here uh, as far as what DTC goes. Uh, now, as far as the benefits beyond just being able to you know manage and own the relationship, uh, really being able to control a lot of those elements is what's is certainly what's driving that. Uh, Lloyd, I'll let you jump in there, but uh, you know some of these things some, is what we're seeing uh, as far as uh, some of the drivers. Good, good points, Isaac. Um, from from our position, the, the manufacturers are always uh, looking for new ways to meet customer needs, and, and DTC is one of those ways. It's it's, it's a, another channel, and the advantage to a consumer is a known, trusted buying journey without surprises. They know what they're buying. They have the full manufacturer's catalog to uh, search from. Uh, and then the, the uh, transaction generally is based upon a trusted partner. So they're not dealing with a retailer that they may not know, but dealing with literally a billion dollar brand that they can trust the process. So um, trust and uh, uh, transferring trust, of course, is very important in sales. And that's one of the things that the DTC channel enables. Yeah, and I'll add that to Lloyd. I mean, uh, we find also that a lot of uh, customers are already going to these manufacturer's sites to find information, even though they traditionally may make the purchase uh, on a retail site. So you're getting this traffic already as a manufacturer, as a brand. Why not turn and grow that additional sales uh, in terms of opportunity? So I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. And then further to that, obviously, the ability to do that has become so much easier. Uh, you know, back when uh, you know, traditional brands wanted to go DTC, uh, there was a lot of infrastructure built, right? I had to have a huge IT team to actually design, build my site and drive that. But there's so many platforms that allow you to go from zero to essentially DTC uh, in under six weeks. So just the ease of being able to actually execute on that, on, on that, on that, you know, that opportunity from a sales standpoint uh, is, is a key component here. And it's certainly something that we're seeing as well. Per, per excellent points. Uh, completely agree with that. 
Going So going back in time a little bit, uh, direct-to-consumer first gained popularity in the late t- 1990s, and it kind of came with the dot-com bubble. So how has it really evolved from what it first was when people started using it towards what it is right now? Sure, absolutely. I'll jump in here. So I mean, when we look back at a lot of the earlier players uh, in, in the GTC, and we're talking about you know folks like Dell uh, in the personal computing space, uh, Gateway, which was another computing company that kind of came up in the same same area, uh, it, it was certainly still very limited to uh, big brands that could afford to set up some of the infrastructure, infrastructure to actually deliver on that. So while DTC has existed, it really wasn't open to a lot of some of the smaller emerging brands in order to do that. So a lot of times you ended up really having to stay tied uh, to to your retail partners. And then we saw the emergence of, of, of marketplaces, which is another player or another component in the DTC space. So, I mean, you can sell uh, on Amazon or sell on, on eBay directly to your customer, even as you're using their platform. So a lot of these you know, points of evolution, uh, as you call them, is what really drove that. Uh, and you know, certainly, uh, as we said in the earlier comments, you're seeing companies really start, you know, startups, you know, whether it's CPG or otherwise, uh, you know, become and come to be digitally native on, you know, on the internet alone. So the ease of the technology, certainly the adoption of internet as a way to buy and, and sell and, uh, and, and consume products has, has been a key factor uh, in easing uh, that go-to-market as far as DTC goes. Exactly right. Good points, Isaac. Um, DTC has greatly evolved uh, over the last 30 years into an accepted business model, uh, evolving from a a little-known or trusted uh, process to literally an everyday process that consumers, both B2B and B2C, are are used to uh, working within. Um, As that's grown and changed, the shopping expectations of, of consumers has also greatly changed. And now, of course, consumers demand uh, good product data and an efficient buying process. Those aren't nice to have. There has to have. So uh, it's evolved into a, a, a normal way of, of day-to-day business. And in a while, we may uh, discuss about some stats. It, it's literally a huge part of the e-commerce uh, sales process these days. And what's interesting, Lloyd, I mean, you get the space where um, I think a lot of large brands, at least early on, were very concerned about what going to TC would mean to their partners, right? So you, you had folks like Nike or, uh, or Sony or otherwise really thinking, you know, if I actually set up my own store, am I really burning down those relationships? Uh, but what you're seeing, at least in the you know, past you know, 10, 15 years, is there's, you know, there's less and less concern of that. Right. I mean, these manufacturers, large and small, actually setting up their own environments. Uh, certainly you've got folks like Apple that say, you know what, we're not even going to think about anything but setting up our own DTC infrastructure in addition to being part of the traditional channels. So that sort of thinking and sort of concern uh, of cannibalizing uh, your sale, at least with the major brands, uh, has really changed from a mindset standpoint. And that certainly has, uh, has, has, has been some of the drivers. It allows a brand to set very high expectations. Apple, of course, the classic example, very high expectations of the buying experience. And uh, most brands have found that it doesn't erode traditional distributor and and reseller channels, it enhances them because it sets pricing guidelines, it sets expectations, it expects, it it, it has uh, set very high demands and requirements for the product communication, the content itself. So this has enhanced the buying experience, not eroded it. And and you hit upon those those, uh, points that were very apropos. Yeah. 
setting a price point or a baseline for it is a really good point. Would you say that direct-to-consumer sometimes is a little similar with social media in the sense that it's almost a way for a brand to speak to their consumers a little more personally and kind of cutting out the middleman and build more of a relationship with them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's uh, and one of the earlier points we, we started off here is like, you know, what are the benefits? Uh, it's really controlling your brand story and being able to deliver it the way that you want. Uh, when you create that space on your own website or, or otherwise, you get to, to really determine what images, what image sizes. Do we use videos? Do we use this type of content? Uh, do we tell the story? Uh, obviously, as you know, every retailer has their own style guide, their own style standard and sort of their own infrastructure and layout in terms of how their site looks. So a lot of time that's going to restrict you. So you may want to put, you know, you know, 10 videos uh, as part of your brand story, but you can't do that on Amazon because the limit, you know, how many videos you're going to put in there. You may not be able to do that on eBay because they can't consume that kind of content. Uh, you know, maybe Best Buy can't take in risk A plus pages. Maybe uh, Walmart can. So all those are restrictions that. Exactly right. And, you know, it, it goes back to the basics, too. And, and you know, some of the challenges manufacturers have is, is transferring trust and, and communications, the basis of any business transaction. DTC companies have had to uh, spend a lot of time and effort in, in building that trust and those communications. And again, Apple is a perfect example. The level of trust uh, of working with Apple is extremely high, and that actually spins off to their other channel partners, where when you buy an Apple product, you expect a seamless buying process. You expect it to, to receive exactly what you're, uh, you're buying, and, and you don't expect any hiccups in the, in the process. Other successful companies have, have mimicked that and even built upon that in, in other ways so that when you buy certain products online, you know what you're getting. There's there's none of that uh, lack of trust or, or what am I going to uh, get at the end. You know what you're getting. And, and consumers both require that for a business uh, transaction and want that to increase their, their sales and their buying uh, experiences. Absolutely. And then I'll add uh, quickly here is I think a lot of the marketplaces that have facilitated some of this DTC, and I'm, I'm looking at Amazon here, have worked really hard to build and ensure that trust. Uh, so this is why they have a lot of mechanisms in place uh, to, to, to eliminate counterfeit brands uh, or brands that kind of li don't live up to the Amazon experience. So when you do get that product that you know you bought, it's exactly what you, 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 you expected. And it's not a knockoff. And I think Apple wanted that sort of the same experience you have with their products. And I'm going to be a little bit biased here because I'm, I'm an Apple guy uh, with, their, with their buying experience. Right, it's as easy to pair, uh, you know, a pair of headphones with an Apple iPhone because you just open it and it works. Well, I want the shopping experience to be the same, and I think with their stores, with their online uh, sort of presentation, uh, they've really worked on gone a long way uh, to be able to achieve that continuity with with product, with brand, with messaging to kind of almost create like a you know, almost like I hate to say cult like expectation, but really high level standards in terms of how the product is going to work. I'm going to buy the product. If it doesn't work, this is what's going to happen. And all those are part of that, you know, D2C experience that they created that they may, they may not have been able to if they only relied on, on Target to do that for them or Best Buy to do that for them or Walmart to do that for them. Because Walmart sells really a range of products. They could sell a $1,100 phone, but there's, there's $10 products. So how do you even meet that same quality and, and, and level of expectation for your customers in such a wide range? Uh, so Apple took control of that, and I think they, they, they've done a very good job there. It, it, it's not a product, it's an experience. 
That's what Absolutely. people are buying. Absolutely. And um, when you think about the very best uh, brands in the world, Apple, Mercedes, BMW, you're, you're buying an experience and your expectations transcend that the product will work. Your expectations are much more. And, and you'll pay for that. You'll pay for that as a customer. And, and yeah, yeah. gladly pay for it because Absolutely. it removes uncertainty in everybody's lives, which are busy. Absolutely. So now that you guys have spoken a lot about all of the greatness that is with direct-to-consumer, let's turn the tables a little bit. What about the downturns or the challenges that comes with it as well? Sure, absolutely. I'll jump in here first. So there, 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 there are many, and there are many challenges that are evolving as uh, the sort of uh, business model evolves uh, itself. Uh, the first one, I'd say the need uh, to build your audience from scratch. Obviously, there's a difference if you're Nike going to TC, if you're Reebok going to TC, uh, versus if you're a small brand. So the, the, the effort it takes and, and, and the time it takes to build your customers so they know and they trust and they know who you are uh, could take, you know, if you're lucky, months, uh, but likely years. So you really got to examine, do I have uh, the capacity and really the financial capability to withstand that? Uh, and sometimes a lot of brands, uh, small brands, especially startups, don't. You don't have that huge infusion to do all this marketing and really build that trust and credibility that Lloyd takes about. So that's really one of the first ones. And this is often why, uh, you know, making, uh, you know, marketplaces part of your D2C strategy kind of helps some of that. So you may be a seller uh, on Amazon while you have your own brand experience to really benefit from their traffic while controlling some of that. So building an audience is always tough for every business, and that's number one. Uh, the second one is increased competition. So, uh, you know, with the growth of DTC and the ease of doing it, uh, a lot of brands are going DTC, right? So, and a lot of these brands may end up being in the same category, in the same space as you. So you get into this challenge, and this is really the second, the third one here is what is the product differentiation? How do we begin to, you know, especially when we look in some of the categories, like I think health and beauty and, uh, and, and nutraceuticals, very uh, many, many, very, very easy to get in. A lot of startups in there, and a lot of them are going DTC. So you get into the space where, uh, you know, you're competing uh, with a lot of, uh, of of other players in that space. And also, the you know, increased competition is certainly uh, product differentiation are, are key 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 points there. Uh, as 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 a new as a new as a new startup, or even as uh, a manufacturer that has traditionally relied on on, on these other channels. So we're talking about uh, managing content and digital assets. How do I, you know, all this you know, content that you and I, Lloyd, talked about, how do I manage and keep that to be able to merchandise my product properly in order to communicate that trust? How do I manage logistics? Things as simple as being able to get my product ordered and shipped out and returned if somebody's not happy. Do I have the capacity to do that? Is there a customer service? If, if somebody buys my product on Amazon and they're not happy, there's a, there's a whole army uh, of Amazon folks that will take phone calls that would respond to a customer to ensure that customer uh, service level is maintained. And Amazon works very hard. In, in, in fact, they'll punish sellers if they don't make that same level. Do I have that same capabilities uh, as a manufacturer that has been relying uh, on, on other partners to be able to do that? So customer service. And then we talk about e-commerce functionality. So I may have uh, an entire website where, you know, traditionally you've gone to find information about my, my, my components or my car parts, and then you go somewhere else to buy it. Do I have the capacity in that system that, 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 that I've been running on to actually manage being able to take orders? Allow, and this is just sort of the mechanics of it, to allow people to create accounts and track their orders and be able to, uh, to, to ensure you know, they could track that delivery. So all those 
that you know we take for granted as as consumers, uh, D2C brands have to build those in. And then finally, we're talking about the ability to integrate uh, other business components in terms of of, uh, of of just running this channel. So what are the analytics? Uh, when I'm looking at my entire business overall and, and managing all these different channels, can I ga gather enough data or do I have enough data inputs to calculate and understand you know, how is my DTC fitting in into my overall uh, business growth, right? Is that data, do I have the infrastructure to, to gather to determine whether or not Am I making money or not making money? So those are pieces definitely you have to build from a, from a technical standpoint. Then finally, not to take up all of Lloyd's time here, but I'll say also understanding uh, changing customer habits, right? So, I mean, you literally have to be on top of how, where, and, and when your customers are buying. So you may take the, the six months it takes to build your Shopify channel, but then it turns out your customers are buying uh, on, on Instagram or they're buying on TikTok or they're buying on Facebook. Are, are you able to manage and, and really be on top of those changing habits at all times uh, to be able to uh, to be where your customers are, uh, you know when you know when they need your product. So, uh, for digitally native product, you know products and, and companies and, and startups, and we're talking about the, the Caspers and the Endies of the world, uh, Warby Parkers, who are actually you know kind of driving that a little bit. Uh, you kind of get the benefit of kind of growing in there. Uh, but for you know, larger transformational, uh, you know, you know, companies that you know have a legacy and doesn't matter what category here, there's quite a few things that sometimes pose challenges in terms of getting uh, really realizing success in the need to see despite uh, some of the benefit here. So, Lloyd, I'll let you, I'll let you jump in. You you really did a, a, a really good job, Isaac, of of, of uh, the topics. Um, it's in a summary. These manufacturers have gone from a, a process of, of raw materials in and shipping pallets out to their channel partners. And, and it's in a way funny, a lot of those manufacturers never really understood the, the weight and the breadth of services that those other channel partners provided. Everything from the customer service that you mentioned to being able to ship one unit at a time. And it was a shock to a lot of, of manufacturers how much infrastructure it does take to support a single customer. <clears throat> it's literally as hard to support a single customer sometimes as it is a Walmart or an Amazon. It takes tremendous resources and a lot of uh, companies were, were very surprised and underestimated the infrastructure that, that was required. So a lot of companies have gotten off on the wrong foot in the D2C effort, um, not really meeting customer expectations, they've had to really scramble uh, to meet those. Uh, but the good news is, you know, once they, they get in step and once they progress, they're able to do so. So um, just simply entering into a new segment of business really is the answer, that, that's the primary challenge. What types of research or insights methods should people be using to make sure that they are overcoming these challenges and are making sure that they are in fact doing it well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a, there's a few things that we advise uh, you know, our, our customers. Uh, and I'm, I'm gonna talk about DTC here specifically in, in the context of, of e-commerce online. Uh, so, you know, the first one I'll start here is really examining your product. Uh, if your startup, do I have a good product? Uh, and I think that's a, that's a starting point, no matter how successful you set this up. If you don't have a product that A, meets the promise, uh, there's going to be very little success in here. 
Uh, and then I'll follow up with, you know, are, are really our products suitable to be sold uh, online? And I'm talking about here in the, in the e-com standpoint. So there's some products where, you know, no matter how, you know, you know, how large the opportunities are just not in a place uh, to be able to deliver uh, in, in an online environment. And I'm, uh, I'll point specifically into the space of CPG. So we're talking about, you know, you may have, a, you know, a, an ice cream or products that, you know, really shelf stability is, is a key consideration. You know, that the DTC space or opportunity in, a, in an e-com environment is really not going to be uh, able to work for you, at least immediately, until you create some sort of freezer truck delivery to get your products into, into a customer environment. So that uh, sort of the, the suitability of your product, uh, I think, is a key one there. And then secondly, what are really the primary goals of you going DTC, right? And I mean, we talked about some of the benefits, some of the challenges. Uh, is DTC really the best way for you to achieve uh, what you're trying to to get from 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 a business goal standpoint, right? It may make sense to really partner up with a a large distribution partner to get your products out faster. So, you know, really examining those goals, I think, is key. Is it is it really brand brand building and really creating awareness about who you are uh, as a company, or is it more you know what we just want to move units? So, there's two variables here that that may be a factor in there. And really tied to that is really what the revenue opportunity is. Is the revenue opportunity worth the effort? And, and, and just as, as being a, a business owner, you're really talking about the cost benefit analysis. It's really just rudimentary business one-on-one. How much are you going to grow your business opportunity versus uh, what is going to cost you to get there? And I'll go into a few more here, but uh, Lloyd, I'll let you jump in here in the middle. Like any experience, is what are the goals? What are the expectations? Just as you said, simple business one on one, and and what are you trying to achieve? What's what's different about what you're going to be doing as a brand compared to what your your current channel partners are providing? You have to have a clear goal and goals of of what you want to do, and then you have to decide on what resources and costs are applicable to that, and see if it makes sense. And for some companies, it doesn't make sense. They're, they feel that their uh, brand is, is being perfectly represented by their channel partners, by their distribution partners, and they decided not to do B2C. And of course, retailers and, and other channel partners see that as an advantage and, and they, they tout that, they leverage that as an advantage. Um, so it's really understanding what your goals are before you enter into what really is a new type of business for most manufacturers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think uh, th- those goals and, and those costs associated are really tied to creating all the pieces uh, you need to actually execute. I mean, uh, questions we ask, you know, do we have uh, the technical requirements? I think we talked about that extensively in the, in the, in the last questions. Uh, then it's, do we have the organizational infrastructure to actually support a DTC? Do we have uh, the channel sales managers even within our organizations? Do we have a customer support lead who's going to hire the people to hire the call center to take the phone calls? Uh, to answer questions about assembly uh, on our product or because a piece is missing. So that sort of organization infrastructure is a key component. And that may uh, mean increasing overhead uh, that you may not be uh, you know, ready to take on. And certainly to your point, Lloyd, that comes back to, can we afford to sell direct to a, to a customer, right? Just sometimes uh, the, the shipping one piece and the cost associated with just fulfilling uh, makes it like the margin is so thin that it doesn't even make sense to do that. So those are very important questions. So there's clearly a lot that goes into direct con- to consumer. I think that is something you can get just from our conversation so far. So where do you start if you're just getting into it? 
Right. Lord Ellis, Ellis, you go first again. Sure. Uh, like any good uh, business process, it starts with clearly expressing and, and, and understanding what your goal is. What are you trying to achieve here? Um, how, how do you, where do you want to get? Where's the finish line of how to get to that finish line? So it, it, it starts with expectations and plans. Now, from there, uh, usually, and, and this is really uh, across any type of business uh, endeavor, you can fill an outline of, of what steps it takes to to get there. So creating or, or deciding on a platform for a lot of companies seems like the biggest uh, deal. Well, that's really, in, in essence, that's not a big deal. There's lots of great platforms out there. Uh, it's the business process that usually is the showstopper for, for companies entering into D2C. Uh, it's deciding what the process is from some from the time somebody actually places an order on that new platform you bought. How do I get that thing out the door? How do I get it out the door on, on time and communicate that to the customer? What happens when somebody returns, as, as Isaac's mentioned uh, many times, when they return a product? All those business processes are, are both complex and need to be very well uh, designed. So it starts with it with a goal and a plan uh, of execution. And, and that's very complex in this environment. And it's also a place that has not been well-traveled by most manufacturers. Most manufacturers are really good at, at getting lots of raw materials in the front and sending out, as I mentioned before, pallets or skids of products to large retailers. This is a completely different business when you go direct to consumer. Isaac, you wanna to add to that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, Lloyd, you hit a few things uh, right on point. And, and I think the first one is really researching uh, your category and your product. And some of these points we already touched before uh, is understanding what is the suitability uh, of your product. If your product requires uh, installers or requires you know, additional products before the end user could actually benefit from it. Uh, you know, is it is it really uh, appropriate for DTC? Can I sell furnaces DTC, or, or does it just make sense that I sell those through uh, actual you know distributors or or, or installers that could actually uh, you know allow for them to be useful to the person that's, that's actually purchasing it? So those are certainly considerations. Uh, you, you touch on, on, on channel conflicts. Uh, I think all those are important. Uh, but you know, to me, where the starting point really is, is, and maybe I'm an I'm entrepreneur and I'm a, I'm a bit of a, can I just get to it and do it? Uh, to me, it's, it's always to start, it's always to do it, it's always to experiment. So when our customers are thinking DTC, we typically want them to go into phased uh, approaches. So meaning uh, really test and do small components uh, or, or small entry points that are low risk, can, can, can see some results, you can really to your point, Lloyd, test some of the, uh, the systems you have in place before you go big. So in a lot of cases, that means leveraging uh, marketplaces that already exist, right? So sell up, set up uh, a seller account, seller central account uh, on Amazon. You may have, a, if you've got a SKU assortment of you know, 500, try 10 SKUs, right, for six months and really test uh, and really iron out a lot of those, uh, you know, those elements that Lloyd talked about uh, in order to fulfill that. Then once you've really got to that point and you're committed to this, and you very quickly see, you know, what the business opportunity is. I mean, we've had customers who will go from vendor central, which is selling to Amazon, to seller central, and then back to vendor central, because in the end, uh, as as we as we mentioned, it just didn't make sense to be able to ship one product and manage one-to-one -one relationships. 
But ultimately, once you've proven then, say, you know what, this is something we're committed to and we think that makes sense, then you begin to think about, okay, you know, how do I build my own environment? And this is not, and you can if you want, but this is not building entire e-commerce sites from scratch. I mean, you can use Shopify Plus, this is my gentle platform that actually allow you to go and scale very, very quickly. Sure, I'll, I'll jump in here. So to, to me, at DTC, because of the unique nature and some of the challenges that you have to overcome uh, in order to, be, to, to succeed at it, uh, has opportunities to really drive a, a lot of innovations here. Uh, for a lot of you know, what we're seeing as digitally native brands, people who have done it well, and I'm, I'm talking about you know, folks like Warby and Casper, uh, they were able to create a different relationship with customers that uh, traditional retailers and traditional brands uh, didn't necessarily do. Right? So we, we saw emergence of really high level personalizations High, very targeted branding uh, in, in terms of in terms of where they, where they were. Uh, a lot of cases, they were, they were really responsive to some of the customer habits we spoke about. So, you know, me buying uh, a mattress at you know, big box retailer versus buying at, at, at uh, you know from from Andy or somebody like Casper uh, or Lisa was a very very different experience. So, these are innovations we, we suspect really what DTC uh, success stories have done. Those are good points, Isaac. And um, some of the things that that are enabled by working with consumers uh, directly uh, is an entirely new opportunity for for direct communications that are not filtered by the reseller or channel or, or, or distributors. There's a wealth of knowledge, a lot, a wealth of benefits of, of working directly uh, with an end consumer. This this knowledge should be uh, looked at and, and used and, and, and sewed in such a way that it builds upon not only your product and, and the features and functionalities of your products, but what are the customer expectations surrounding that buying experience? We talked about some of the leading um, laptop brands or, or Apple or some of the leading car brands. It's more than just the product people are looking for. It, it, it's, it's a buying experience. They have expectations of, of this. And when you work directly with a, uh, a customer or a consumer, you can better understand that, better understand the experience, and then position your products and, and your, your sales processes to better meet that. So it's it's knowledge, as Isaac has mentioned many times, of, of what the expectation is and insight into what that customer wants, not only today, but what are they looking into the future? and then building products and processes to meet those requirements. It's really just like any other business. Yeah, I would say if you get anything out of this episode is that shopping is not an activity, it is an experience. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time, you guys, so I want to ask you one last question before we head out, and that is just if you guys could give us a personal experience where you thought that direct-to-consumer really enhanced your own experience in the purchase journey. Sure. Uh, well, I'm, I'm a shoe uh, person, shoe guy. I love sneakers. Uh, so I'll, I'll pick on one of our, you know, one of our clients here, and, and uh, it, it, it's New Balance. Uh, in purchasing products and, and purchasing shoes and, and understanding uh, what goes into it, I think they do an amazing job. Uh, and obviously we contribute some of that, so maybe I'm biased, but uh, just the effort they take in terms of 
telling the the, the, the the brand story around the product that we create, I, th I think it's, it's, it's phenomenal. Uh, and I think we probably pointed to a few other ones here. Uh, I'm also an, an iPhone guy. I'm, I'm in, in line for my iPhone 13. Uh, but those two brands, I think I could probably point to in terms of just uh, the amount of effort they take to build your expectations and, and, and really your connectivity, connectivity, if you will, uh, with the product they're trying to, to get you to buy, right? It's not so much, these are the feature sets, which obviously they're important, but why are they meaningful to you, right? You know, how are you going to take better pictures uh, of, of your family? How are you going to spend time? How are you going to be, be more connected? So uh, from a, you know, D2C brand journey uh, experience, I think I'd probably point to those two as really best in class that I've personally used. Good, good examples. Uh, the, the, the close experience to me is a little outside of the hard good. It's, it's, it's with Adobe. Uh, I use Adobe products uh, extensively and used to get a CD every couple of years, uh, use it. And then I got the next one and whatever <laughs> right. it had, it had. Um, well, they flipped the entire model on its head, if you will. And, and now everything is direct. It, it's, it's a subscription. And, and the level of innovation, the level of personalization, the level of details that they, they get and that they ask me have really changed my relationship with the company. I feel that I have a very small but important piece or, or, or position there where they actually listen uh, to what might help me do my job uh, day to day. They actually listen to uh, what, what will make the product better and they get this from hundreds of thousands, if not millions of users. And you've seen product innovation over the last few years that, that probably equals the last 20 years. So they've taken the, the uh, information they get from a direct uh, relationship and really made a product that's just radically different, radically better. And, and uh, they've been very successful financially doing it. And that type, same type of experience can really be uh, leveraged into other things, not just software, but cars and laptops, uh, consumer goods. Uh, I, I've had very good experiences buying some brands of laptops where the manufacturer wanted to know more about why I bought that brand and, and what my usage was and how they could make that um, both the experience and also the actual hardware better for the specific use. And of course, that builds on, on brand loyalty then. So when I go to look for another laptop in a couple of years, I'm more likely to go with a manufacturer that seems to care about what uh, what they can do to help me. So there's a lot of advantages DTC has for a manufacturer if they leverage it properly. And I think that's the closing advice, be able to leverage it properly. Um, but that does bring us to the close of this episode. So Isaac and Lloyd, I want to thank you guys so much for lending me and everyone listening your insights for today. If anyone is listening would like more information on to on direct to consumer, the last episode was about it. If you haven't listened to that one, definitely do that. And we also have a couple of webinars and blogs as well that I will make sure to link for you guys in the show notes. And if you have any questions for Lloyd or Isaac or want to talk to them a little more, I'll make sure that you have uh, an email address or maybe their LinkedIn so you can get in touch with them as well. So with that, I want to say a last thank you to the both of you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Thinking Ahead. For more information on today's topic, you can click the link in the description. 
and please make sure to leave us a rating and review. Let us know what you like about the show. And of course, if you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button to keep up to date on the latest insights. We'll see you next time so you can keep thinking ahead.